Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Without objection, I include in the record a presentation of some of the key evidence our investigation has uncovered. Officers on the ground, they were bleeding, they were throwing up. They ripped off my badge. They began to beat me with their fists and with what felt like hard metal objects. So what are we gonna do here, folks? I only need 11,000 votes. Fellas, I need 11,000 votes. Give me a break. He said, we've got lots of theories, we just don't have the evidence. The president said something to the effect of, I'm the effing president, take me up to the Capitol now. Do you know how it feels to have the president of the United States to target you? I made it clear I did not agree with the idea of saying the election was stolen and putting out this stuff, which I told the president was bullshit. General Flynn, do you believe in the peaceful transition of power in the United States of America? The fifth. The House Select Committee to investigate January 6th has been ugly for Republicans. It has used Republican witnesses to reveal a lot of unpleasant truths about Donald Trump, but not just about Trump, about the Republican leadership in Congress, about a bunch of Republican luminaries, and about top White House officials. You could be forgiven if you didn't remember that Republicans made this particular bed. It was actually Republicans, including some of the same Republicans the committee ended up skewering, who first pushed the idea of a fact-finding commission as an alternative to impeachment. It was Republicans, including those same congressional leaders, who then scuttled their own ideas and forced the creation of the January 6th Select Committee as an alternative. Indeed, it was the House Republican leadership that delivered the coup de grace by appointing two election deniers to the panel thus provoking House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to refuse their nominations and seat Republicans Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger instead. The entire fabric of the January 6th committee's success was conditioned by the House Republican leadership's obstructive behavior over the months leading to its creation. January 6th and the lies that led to insurrection have put two and a half centuries of constitutional democracy at risk. We must confront the truth with candor, resolve, and determination. We need to show that we are worthy of the gifts that are the birthright of every American. That begins here, and it begins now. This is The Aftermath, Episode 5, Who Tells Your Story? Announcing the subpoenas of five witnesses the committee says helped organize the rally that preceded the attack on the Capitol. We cannot leave the violence of January 6th and its causes uninvestigated. The indifference shown to my colleagues is disgraceful. You don't answer our questions. You create rigmarole logjams. Former President Trump is trying to stop the White House from turning documents over to the House Committee investigating. (laughs) 
There's an old saying, success has a thousand parents, while failure is always an orphan. But the House January 6th committee was nobody's child. It resulted from a series of adaptations on the part of House Democrats to Republican efforts to obstruct the investigation of January 6th. Though it turns out that the committee has worked well and produced a lot of materials, it's not the investigative model that anybody in Congress really wanted. Nobody is really its parent, but neither can anyone in Congress quite deny responsibility. Here's House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. And this is why I called for last week after this happened a bipartisan commission. We should get to the bottom of this. There are so many questions that need to be answered. There's so many questions that I had personally as a leader. I have questions about this building, what I was told, what was protected, what, what doors could not be opened or, or entered or penetrated. Well, that didn't go through. There's a lot of planning through. And the only way you're going to be able to answer these questions is through a bipartisan commission. Let's rewind a bit. It is January 7th, 2021. The Capitol is quiet. Just hours ago, its halls and chambers were filled with violent protesters. Members of the House and Senate have arrived for another day of work, just hours after formally certifying the election of Joe Biden at 3.45 that morning. Over the next few weeks, Congress must decide how it is going to investigate the attack. On one track, as we described in the previous episode, various congressional committees begin investigating discrete issues relating to January 6th, especially capital security and intelligence failures. Democrats and Republicans are working together, and they actually end up getting a lot done. Thank you, Senator Klobuchar and Senator Peters, uh, Ranking Member Blunt, for the way you all have approached this process. Um, it's important that we keep it bipartisan, I would even say nonpartisan, and I hope that our review continues to set politics aside and focus on the facts, what happened that day. Those investigations, however, narrowly confront who and what failed to prevent the attack on January 6th. When it comes to congressional inquiries into what and who had caused the attack, it's a very different story. There's one obvious focal point for Congress in seeking accountability for causing January 6th, Donald Trump himself. And efforts to hold him accountable, which we covered in episode three of this series, are already underway through the impeachment process. After, you know, January 6th, I mean, there was obviously the Democrats started talking about impeachment. I actually was talking about impeachment, too. I'm like, this is this has gone beyond the pale. That's the voice of Adam Kinzinger, a Republican congressman from Illinois' 16th district. He currently serves on the House's January 6th Select Committee. But impeaching Trump is only one of the tools at Congress's disposal in its search for accountability for January 6th. It's a tool with a very specific purpose, and one focused only on Trump. What's more, from the beginning, the impeachment faces strong resistance from many Republicans. It is clear that this will be a highly political endeavor. The framers clearly had not correctly anticipated the stranglehold that partisanship would come to exercise over the imagination of members of Congress. And I'm sorry to say that. I mean, they were aware of partisanship and they belonged to sort of incipient political tendencies and in parties. So we ended up 
with 57 to 43, and Donald Trump is still out there, and we are in the middle of this continuing titanic constitutional struggle for the defense of democratic institutions um, against right-wing authoritarianism. But there's another track for congressional action happening in parallel, one which doesn't necessarily focus solely on Trump. It has the opportunity to look more broadly at the actors, in and out of government, who played a role in provoking and executing the crisis, a national commission. That's what we'll focus on in this episode. But before we start, let's check back in with the four criminal defendants we've been tracking since the beginning of the aftermath. Each of them represents a larger body of criminal defendants, who engaged in different types of conduct and are therefore facing different criminal charges at varying levels of severity. We've followed their cases from the time of their arrests until May 1st, 2021. So what happened in those cases in the summer of 2021? Here's Lawfare Associate Editor Rohini Kurup with a brief update. Last time we checked in on our first defendant, Eric Munchel, the zip tie guy, we learned that he had just been released from jail to home confinement, with a federal appeals court panel deciding that he posed little threat to the general public while awaiting trial. On February 12, 2021, Munchel was charged with three felony counts. During the time period we're covering in this episode, May 1, 2021, to the January 6th committee's first public hearing on July 27, 2021, a federal grand jury charges both Munchel and his mother, who you'll remember was with him in the Capitol on January 6th, with five additional felony counts, conspiracy to commit obstruction, unlawful possession of a dangerous weapon on Capitol grounds, entering and remaining in the Gallery of Congress, disorderly conduct in a Capitol building, and parading, demonstrating, or picketing in a Capitol building. Later, on June 23rd, Munchel is arraigned and pleads not guilty to all charges. During this period, Munchel, who is still under home confinement, appears in court via video conference. Our second Capitol riot defendant, Richard Barnett, is also under home confinement. Barnett, if you recall, was the man who was photographed with his feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk on January 6th. Last time we saw Barnett, he was ordered released from jail to conditional home confinement and electronic monitoring. On June 11th, Barnett's lawyers submit a motion to modify Barnett's conditions of release. Under the court's initial conditions, Barnett was prohibited from traveling more than 50 miles from his home without approval from the court. In the motion, Barnett's lawyers argue that because Barnett was terminated from his position as a window salesman, which was his primary source of income, he must rely on a second job which requires him to regularly travel more than 50 miles from his home. They ask that the court lift the requirement that he receive permission before traveling more than 50 miles for employment. In its response, the government argues that Barnett's motion be denied. They argue that because he has other sources of income that can be maintained online or from home, granting him the ability to be away from his residence would increase the danger he posed to the public. The government also recommends, instead, that the court increase Barnett's release restrictions. On June 18th, a district judge denies Barnett's request and orders that Barnett's initial conditions of release remain in place. Between May 1st and the end of July, not much happens in Edward Jacob Lang's case. Jake Lang, remember, is a 26-year-old man from New York who allegedly attacked police for hours outside the Capitol while officers tried to prevent rioters from entering the building. During this period, Lang's lawyers and government prosecutors are engulfed in the discovery process, and Lang remains in jail. Also detained is Kelly Meggs. Meggs, you'll remember, is an alleged member of the far-right group known as the Oath Keepers. 
prosecutors alleged that Megs had been planning for the January 6th attack for months. On January 6th, Megs allegedly entered the Capitol building dressed in tactical gear. Last time we checked in on Megs, prosecutors had filed three superseding indictments, the first of which added him as a co-defendant with other alleged Oath Keepers and charged him with conspiring to aid and abet the obstruction of an official proceeding. They also charged him with destruction of government property and trespassing. On May 26th, prosecutors filed a fourth superseding indictment, which brings down an additional charge of tampering with documents or proceedings. A few days later, Megs pleads not guilty to all of the charges. Almost immediately after January 6th, members of Congress began floating proposals for a national commission. Representative Eleanor Holmes Norton and Representative Jamal Bowman both file bills on January 7th, the day after the riot. Here's Congresswoman Norton. Uh, you, you see that I have introduced a bill to create a national commission on the U.S. Capitol attack. That'll be somebody, that'll, that'll be people, bipartisan, who will stand back and, and look at it. And, each- and here's Congressman Bowman. The COOL Act, you know, the, the, the bill that we introduced, Congressional Oversight of Unjust Policing, wants to look at, are there explicit direct connections between white nationalist individuals, groups, and capital police? These are largely messaging bills rather than real proposals. Congress had created a national commission after the 9-11 attacks to study the intelligence failures that had led to the attacks. And calling for a national commission was a way of likening what had happened on January 6th to what happened on 9-11 20 years earlier. But the idea of a national commission quickly comes to have a different set of champions, congressional Republicans, who want an alternative to supporting impeachment. Here's Representative Kinzinger on why the Republican leadership gravitated, at least initially, to the idea. I think the you know, most people, at least in the Republican side of the House, when you started talking about doing this bipartisan commission, were all supportive of it. And, you know, again, I think a lot of people used it as a way to push off from, you know, having to take responsibility for impeaching Donald Trump, for instance. You know, they'd say, well, this is too quick or... You know, we don't know all the facts. And so, yeah, I mean, initially that's that's what people want. I think they thought it was good. So it was it was always interesting because kind of I think Kevin McCarthy and some of these other folks way to like push off impeachment. It's kind of the oldest political trick in the book is, boy, I'm just as, you know, in essence hawkish on these issues as you are. I just think here's a better way to do it. And so what Kevin McCarthy would say is well, we don't need to impeach just right away. We need to get to the bottom of what truly happened, and we need to have a a national commission. The result is that even as Democrats in the House get to work drafting an article of impeachment, officials in both houses of Congress and from both sides of the aisle are also, and for very different reasons, talking about a national commission. Right after January 6th, there seemed to be bipartisan, widespread support for investigating the attack on the Capitol and getting to the bottom of what happened. That was the voice of Luke Broadwater, a congressional correspondent for The New York Times. I remember Minority Leader McCarthy on the House floor gave a speech condemning the attack, blaming Trump for it and saying it needed to be investigated. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. These facts require immediate action 
by President Trump. Accept his share of responsibility. Quell the brewing unrest. And ensure President-elect Biden is able to successfully begin his term. And the President's immediate action also deserves congressional action, which is why I think a fact-finding commission and a censure resolution would be prudent. And in that speech, he seemed to fully endorse a commission to, in, to investigate the riot, similar to the one that investigated the September 11th attacks. And this seemed to have a lot of support at the time. Almost everybody you talked to on the Hill, Republican or Democrat, was for it. Several other prominent Republicans also publicly call for a national commission. We need a 9-11 commission to find out what happened to make sure it never happens again. And I want to make sure that uh, the capital footprint uh, can be better defended next time. So I want to look at what... You know, I don't... I think there should be a complete investigation about what happened on 1-6. Both why was there not more uh, law enforcement, National Guard already mobilized, what was known, who knew it, and when they knew it, all that. So why did it happen? How did it happen? What are the facts? And what can we do to make sure it never, ever happens again? And on January 15th, 2021, three Republican House members, Representative Rodney Davis of Illinois' 13th District, John Kotko of New York's 24th District, and James Comer of Kentucky's 1st District, introduce a bill to establish a bipartisan commission to investigate January 6th. Yesterday, I introduced, along with Representatives Katko and Comer, a bill that would create a national commission on the domestic terrorist attack upon the United States Capitol. What we saw last week scared all of us who were here, but it also showed adversaries what it takes to take out a branch of government. When this commission is done with this investigation, it will submit a report to the president and to Congress detailing its findings and recommendations to ensure that no foreign or domestic adversary could accomplish what was done on January 6th. Under this proposal, the commission would consist of 10 non-governmental members, five appointed by Republicans and five appointed by Democrats, to examine and report on the facts and causes relating to the attack. The bill authorizes the commission to hold hearings and issue subpoenas. The bill is specifically modeled after the commission put in place two decades earlier, to investigate the terrorist attacks of 9-11. This is the voice of Lee Hamilton, vice chair of the 9-11 Commission, speaking at its opening hearing. The commission exists to understand what happened on September 11th and to protect our nation against future attack. Our mandate is to look back, to learn the vital lessons of 9-11, to look forward to make recommendations that leave the United States and its people safer. Our primary task is to answer one essential question. What can we do to prevent another 9-11? The 9-11 Commission was an independent entity established by Congress in 2002. It was charged with understanding what went wrong and what should be done to prevent such attacks in the future. That commission uncovered critical facts, assessed bureaucratic failures, brought bipartisan focus to an ongoing threat, and precipitated real change. 
It was regarded across the political spectrum as a big success and resulted in major reforms of government, the creation of the Director of National Intelligence, for example. Its report remains one of the leading texts on al-Qaeda and the road to September 11th. I'm Jamie Gorelick. I'm a partner at Wilmer Hale in Washington, D.C. I served as a member of the 9-11 Commission, and I've served in government in various other roles. When Gorelick says various other roles, she means, among other things, that she's been the Deputy Attorney General and the General Counsel of the Pentagon. One of the reasons the 9-11 Commission is on so many people's minds after January 6th was that it had functioned in a completely bipartisan fashion. Its report was unanimous. It had only one staff, not a Democratic staff and a Republican staff. There were no reports of partisan divisions between the commissioners. The Republican chairman and the Democratic vice chairman issued most of their statements jointly. It's easy to understand why this would be a model that attracted people in a highly polarized time. But, as Gorelick explains, it actually took a lot of work for the 9-11 Commission to remain unified. I think it's easy in retrospect to portray the 9-11 Commission as inevitably bipartisan. But it wasn't. It was bipartisan because... uh, Tom Kane and Lee Hamilton, the chair and vice chair, decided it would be. They said at the outset, we are not going to have a Republican staff and a Democratic staff. Indeed, we're not going to have any individual staff commissioners. We're going to have one unified staff. This actually allowed the commission to hire a staff that was like a who's who of American expertise on terrorism, al-Qaeda, and the history of modern American counterterrorism policy. They said, we are not going to have any votes on any investigative steps or otherwise that are solely of one party. And the two of them agreed. And of course, the two of them being an R and a D could make that happen. And they modeled that behavior. They said, if you're going to do communications, public appearances, you need to go out in bipartisan pairs. Uh, They encouraged us to look at documents and, and prepare for witnesses together. But this was not foreordained. This was a very conscious effort. I also think that because this was a factual inquiry by the 9-11 Commission, we often uh, said to each other, you know, you can have your policy views, but you can't have your own facts. But the 9-11 Commission had certain advantages in securing bipartisanship that Congress now lacks after January 6th. Perhaps the most important was a foreign enemy. The focus on the foreign enemy in the 9-11 Commission uh, was uniting. However, both political parties had a right and and a rightful concern about being criticized. That instinct came more from President Bush than President Clinton, but remember that President Bush had only been in office for uh, less than a year when this attack occurred. And so there were going to be criticisms uh, anticipated of both parties. Even the 9-11 Commission had political undercurrents. But it seems it's much easier to put aside partisan differences when investigating a foreign terrorist organization 
that flew planes into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. It's much harder to investigate an attack undertaken domestically to help one party retain power at the expense of the other, particularly when the attack was seemingly encouraged by a president of that party. It starts to look a little more like a zero-sum game. But for a little while, the shock of what had happened on January 6th unites members across the partisan divide around the idea. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi herself begins making noises in support of a 9-11-style commission. And on February 15th, she announces that she has her own proposal to create one. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced today that Congress will establish an outside independent commission to look into what she called the facts and causes of the deadly insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. She says the commission will be modeled on a similar one created after the September 11th terrorist attacks. Pelosi saying, we must get to the truth of how this happened. Now, lawmakers of both parties have called for a bipartisan 9-11 style commission to investigate why government officials and law enforcement failed to stop the attack on the Capitol. Pelosi's proposed commission differs somewhat from the one proposed by Katko, Davis, and Comer. Most notably, Pelosi's proposed commission was composed of 11 members, with seven appointed by Democrats and four appointed by Republicans. Katko, Davis, and Comer's proposed commission, however, was to be composed of only 10 members, with five appointed by Democrats and five by Republicans. The Democratic and Republican proposals also clashed on the issue of subpoena power. Subpoenas are legally binding requests that Congress can use to request documents, depositions, or testimony, but they're not automatic. Congressional committees must establish their own authority to issue subpoenas and decide the process for doing so. The Democrats' proposed bill granted subpoena powers to the commission's chair, who would be appointed by President Biden. Conversely, the Republicans proposed that rather than placing sole subpoena power in the hands of the commission's chair, subpoenas would have to be issued under the agreement of the chair and vice chair or by the affirmative vote of the simple majority, six members, of the commission. In other words, issuing a subpoena would require some degree of bipartisan support. But despite these differences, the two parties are suddenly not all that far apart, or they don't appear to be, anyway. Rather, both Democrats and Republicans are clamoring to express their support for a national commission, and many of them are specifically invoking the 9-11 Commission as the model. On this question of a 9-11-style commission, is that something you believe the House and Senate should pursue at this point? This was incited by the President of the United States. Of course there must be a full uh, commission, an impartial commission, not guided by politics, but filled with people who would stand up there's still more evidence that the American people need and deserve to hear, and a 9-11 commission is a way to make sure that we secure the Capitol going forward and that we lay bare the record of just how responsible and how abjectly a violating of his constitutional oath President Trump really was. I strongly support the creation of an independent commission. I don't have a tremendous amount of confidence that Congress is going to be able to objectively examine something that it played a role in. Before long, though, the bipartisan support for a national commission begins showing cracks. Kinzinger dates the Republican shift of views on the national commission to a particular day, 
you know, really there was a specific moment in time when a lot of stuff kind of changed, not, not particularly on the commission, but in terms of where Republicans were, which was the moment that Kevin McCarthy went down to Mar-a-Lago. To that point, there was a lot of people sitting around, in essence, wondering, okay, what's the future going to look like? Where, where's the party going to be? And then uh, Kevin shows up with a picture at Mar-a-Lago, and that changed everything. You remember McCarthy's trip to Mar-a-Lago. Up until then, he had been publicly and privately tough on Trump. Recall McCarthy's speech on the House floor shortly after January 6th. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. Leaked audio from private conversations with other GOP members also indicates that McCarthy had felt that Trump was morally responsible for the attack on January 6th. But let me be very clear to all of you, and I've been very clear to the president. He bears responsibilities for his words and actions. No ifs, ands, or buts. I asked him personally today, does he hold responsibility for what happened? Does he feel bad about what happened? He told me he does have some responsibility for what happened, and he needs to acknowledge that. But then... On January 28th, McCarthy goes on a pilgrimage to make amends. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. He met with the former president at his Florida resort yesterday. It's a turnaround for McCarthy, who is backing off his previous statement that Trump, quote, bared responsibility for the siege. The New York Times' Luke Broadwater draws the same conclusion as Kinzinger. When he goes to Mar-a-Lago and poses for that picture... It was a clear symbol that Trump is still the boss, that those things you heard Kevin McCarthy say on the floor about Donald Trump, the condemnations, the pledges to investigate January 6th. Well, he he is uh, supplicating again. Here's a photo of him in Mar-a-Lago with Donald Trump paying respects to the guy who still has the real power in the Republican Party. So I think that in my in my memory, that was the clearest symbol that Donald Trump was still in charge and the Republicans were not going to cross him. Republican Representative Liz Cheney is stunned by this development. Here she is on NBC's Today Show at the time. Leader McCarthy's visit to uh, the former president at Mar-a-Lago was really stunning. Um, you know, w- given what the former president did, he's not just former president. You know, he provoked an attack on the Capitol, uh, an attack on our democracy. And so um, I, I can't understand why, why you would want to go rehabilitate him. After the news of McCarthy's visit to Mar-a-Lago breaks, the once strong bipartisan support for Pelosi's proposed commission begins to deteriorate. Here's Representative Kinzinger again. Just to show where we were. And then again, the second he goes down to Mar-a-Lago and gets that picture with Donald Trump, it was almost like you felt among people, you know, every time we thought Trumpism was over, every time we thought it was on on the ropes, he comes back in some spectacular way. And you could just sense that, that this was that moment in people's minds. Republicans begin claiming that Pelosi's proposed commission is too partisan. Republicans also take issue with the commission's seat allocation, seven Democrats, four Republicans, and the power that would be granted to the committee's chair, appointed by President Biden, to issue subpoenas. This time, however, Speaker Pelosi started by proposing a commission that would be partisan by design. Seven appointments for Democrats, just four 
for Republicans. The 9-11 Commission also built consensus by requiring bipartisan support for subpoenas. The Speaker's bill would vest subpoena power in one appointee chosen by the Democrats. Speaker Pelosi is doing it all wrong. First, it's not bipartisan. Secondly, they don't allow subpoena power for the minority and the majority to work together. I mean, when I look at the first actions the Speaker has taken with their own general to look at um, what has went on, and you look at his tweets and others, it seems most of this is politically driven, and it seems like she's setting up a system to fail. In response to these claims, and in an attempt to revive bipartisan support for the proposed commission, Pelosi deputizes Representative Benny Thompson, who would later become chairman of the House Select Committee, to lead negotiations with Republicans. On the Republican side, McCarthy appoints Representative John Katko, who had been one of the only 10 House GOP members to vote to impeach Trump. Ever since the events of January 6th, John Katko and myself have been engaged in dialogue about how can we address this situation and develop legislation that would prevent it from ever happening again. At this point, Republican leadership is heavily divided. And the Republicans had had certain demands on Speaker Pelosi that she, and ultimately she agreed with every single thing the Republicans wanted. And so they do reach an agreement between her appointee, Benny Thompson, and uh, John Katko, who is uh, McCarthy's point person, uh, to come up with this commission. But at the same time, there's sort of a leadership fight going on among House Republicans. Uh, Basically, the Republicans have started to come back to Trump. All the condemnations that happened shortly after January 6th have started to fall by the wayside. They've seen that their voters still very much love Donald Trump, are are very loyal to Donald Trump, and um, don't, don't want to see him condemned constantly. One of Trump's fiercest public GOP critics is Representative Liz Cheney. And Liz Cheney will say, no, we should have nothing to do with Donald Trump and will condemn him very strongly. And, and, and the Republicans are getting more and more frustrated by this because they, they secretly would like to condemn Donald Trump, but their voters love the guy. And so they cannot have Liz Cheney in leadership condemning him publicly at every turn and still represent the parties. After multiple discussions, Thompson tells Pelosi that he has secured a tentative deal on the commission, but that Katko wants to wait to announce the deal until Liz Cheney is ousted as GOP conference chair. Republicans are planning. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. To vote on Cheney's position because of her ongoing criticism of Trump's lies about a stolen election, including at a Republican retreat in Florida. And Katko is reportedly wary of injecting the commission into what he sees as a politically charged moment. They moved to oust her from leadership, and Katko decides he does not want to make public uh, that they have a commission to investigate uh, uh, the January 6th attack until this leadership uh, fight is is over. Congresswoman Liz Cheney now officially ousted from her leadership uh, position. Yeah. I think that the party uh, is in a place that we've got to bring it back from. We cannot be dragged backward uh, by uh, the very dangerous lies of a former president. Removed with a voice vote by her Republican colleagues this morning after she condemned former President Trump's falsehoods about the 2020 election and voted to impeach him for inciting the January 6th Capitol riot. After Cheney is officially ousted as GOP chair, Thompson and Katko announce that they have struck a deal to create a bipartisan commission to investigate January 6th. Katko has done well by his party fellows. He succeeds in securing all of the Republicans' demands. And I, I got to tell you, like he came back with a deal that I never thought uh, Katko could have gotten. Um, House Democrats had originally proposed an 11-member commission, with seven appointed by Democrats and four by Republicans. Katko is able to get Thompson to agree to a 10-member commission, with each party appointing five members. And... It, it would have no current lawmakers, so it wouldn't be infected with politics. There wouldn't be people running for office who are trying to win votes or, uh, you know, uh, stay in office. And it would be, you know, generally sort of heavy hitters from the outside, maybe former attorney generals or former prosecutors or former governors, former senators, people like that who had a lot of respect and um could, could do this sort of in a nonpartisan way. Again, this idea isn't a new one. It had been an important feature of the 9-11 commissioners. We were all liberated to do whatever we thought was right. We were not running for anything. None of us wanted to, ha- to be in public office again. Uh, I myself thought it was the most important thing I could do in my career making sure that we took a very clear-eyed view of what happened without regard to politics or consequences. And my fellow commissioners felt the same way. It's very hard to do that if you are a sitting member of Congress. Very hard. And there, that, there's a reason that similar efforts on the Hill, on this issue and other issues, fail. Because people feel beholden to their party's interests above finding the truth. Thompson and Katko are also able to settle on the commission's subpoena powers and chair and vice chair appointments. Here's Katko describing the bill on the House floor. The bill before us today, H.R. 3233, would create an independent, bipartisan commission to investigate the relevant facts and circumstances relating to the January 6th attack on the Capitol. 
as well as targeted violence and domestic terrorism relevant to that attack. It also charges the Commission with providing and finding recommendations to, among other things, prevent, prepare for, and respond to similar attacks, improve the security posture of the Capitol complex, and ensure the security of members of Congress and congressional staff. Modeled after the 9-11 Commission, this bill creates a 10-member panel with five commissioners appointed by each party and equal subpoena authority. While the expedited December 2021 deadline would only give the Commission about six months to do its job, there's good reason for that. The American people and the Capitol Police deserve answers and action as soon as possible to ensure that nothing like this ever happens again. Katko and Thompson have negotiated a bill that somehow meets the demands of Republicans without compromising support from Democrats. It seems like an amazing accomplishment. But then, it all goes to hell. And that idea seemed to have a lot of support for a while, but uh, again, uh, then, then politics got involved. First off, it started out like, great, good job, Katko, right? There's, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be some crazies in our party that oppose this, but how can you oppose it? And I remember, uh, I, you know, it started out probably with Kevin McCarthy and some others and just starting to hear, well, there's, the rules are not extremely fair in terms of cross-examining or staff is going to favor Democrats in terms of staff allotments. And I'm just, I remember sitting there going, we're going to oppose this thing. We're going to oppose this thing too, because when you start having members of Congress find technicalities for why they can't support something, uh, it, you know it's done. And, and I just got that foreboding feeling and ultimately it ended up being correct. Shortly before Katko and Thompson announced their bill, which, don't forget, meets all Republican demands, McCarthy and other Republican leadership withdraw their previous support for a commission to investigate January 6th. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy just announced he will not support a 9-11-style commission to study the Capitol insurrection or investigate it. He wrote, quote, given the political misdirections that have marred this process, given the now duplicative and potentially counterproductive nature of this effort, and given the speaker's short-sighted scope that does not examine interrelated forms of political violence in America, I cannot support this legislation. One of the main issues Republicans now have with the bill relates to the proposed scope of the commission's investigation. Rather than focusing solely on January 6th, Republicans argue that the commission should investigate political violence in the United States more broadly. In particular, they want to look into violence at Black Lives Matter protests. We begin tonight with a nation already on edge in the coronavirus pandemic as protests turn violent across America. The arrest of a former Minneapolis police officer for the murder of George Floyd failing to stop another night of rage in that city. Kevin McCarthy started going out and saying, well, we also need to investigate what led to the violence over the summer in the Black Lives Matter. For the last year, we've had political violence across this country and in this city. I think we should look at all of that. Why not confine this committee? It's a big deal. What happened on January 6th when the, you had this insurrection at the Capitol? You had an insurrection at the Capitol. You, you've had political violence for the last year in this building. If you're now going to put a commission together, why wouldn't you look at all the problems? Now, that's a whole separate thing. And I, I'd say, you know, some of those people were brilliant in how they messaged this because they convoluted to people uh, the fact that there was violence in the summer with the violence that happened 
against the Capitol. What our concern with, what my concern with January 6th really has little to do with the violence and destruction. I mean, that's bad, so I'm not downplaying it. But what bothers me more than anything is that that was an attack on democracy and city can burn down and democracy survives. You burn down a capital, democracy fails. But are the Republicans' newfound concerns actually about the scope of the commission's mandate? What people told me privately was that they, the Republicans had decided this was a political loser for them, that they had explored the idea of doing an investigation. They knew it was the right thing to do, but every political way they looked at it, they could not see a way that investigating January 6th helped the Republican Party and hurt the Democrats. Even if it's just a segment of Donald Trump supporters, even if it's a tiny segment who attacked the Capitol, that's their people. And they, they didn't see a political benefit to having an investigation that would ultimately find more bad things that Donald Trump and his allies did, would cast their supporters in a bad light, would remind voters that the Republican Party was largely to blame for January 6th, and it wasn't Democrats who did this. And you'll see this in their public comments. It was peaceful protests, except for you know, there, there were a number of people, basically agitators that uh, whipped the crowd. In an orderly fashion, staying between the stanchions and ropes, taking videos and pictures. You know, if you didn't know the TV footage was a video from January the 6th, you would actually think it was a normal tourist visit. You know, I just want the president to understand there have been things worse than people without any firearms coming into a building. Gorelick points to another reason the politics undermined the proposed January 6th commission in a way that the 9-11 commission had avoided. The impetus for a commission was the very strong push by the families of the victims of 9-11 that the facts had to be examined. I I think without those families, we would not have had a 9-11 commission because it was resisted at first, principally principally by the Bush administration, because it worried about being blamed, which you can understand. The commission's structure uh, was that the commissioners would be appointed by the people who are really the most political people in Washington. Uh, And thus, there was no reason to believe that uh, the 9-11 commission would be uh, any less riven by political concerns than any other committee or commission that that we've seen the push by the 9-11 victims' families for an honest, full, thorough, deep review of the facts was a great counter-impulse to the politics of the time. There is no analog to victim families here. Yes, there are police officers who were injured in the melee, some of whom would suffer permanent damage, as well as survivors of those killed. But there aren't nearly as many of them and they are not organized in the same way. That's not for lack of trying, though. Officers and loved ones of those who had been killed met with members of Congress, went on TV, developed active social media presences, and tried hard to get their voices heard. He um, just was struggling to really just understand what happened that day, um, his injuries, and ultimately, we know the end. Elected officials and other individuals uh, kind of whitewashed the events of that day or, or 
uh, downplay what happened. And we were meeting with these senators, the Republican senators, to have them do this full 9-11 style commission. We want that 9-11 style commission. And, you know, to hear Mitch McConnell asking his colleagues, well, you know, do me a personal favor uh, and, and vote no on this, that's appalling. That's atrocious. It's reprehensible. It's supposed to uphold the Constitution, and right now I don't think they're doing it. But Republicans seem to be able to ignore them in a way that nobody could have ever ignored the 9-11 victims' families. The degree to which the bill Katko and Thompson have negotiated will get Republican support in the House is still largely unclear. Democrats in the House can still pass the legislation with little to no Republican support. But a lack of bipartisan support significantly lessens the chances that the legislation survives a filibuster in the Senate. The debate is fierce. The partisanship has been dramatic. And that's why it's different now than the 9-11 Commission. Let's get back to being bipartisan and not use every tool as a partisan stick to beat Republicans with. I you have back. people scaling the Capitol, hitting the Capitol Police with lead pipes across the head, and we can't get bipartisanship. What else has to happen in this country? Cops. This is a slap in the face to every rank-and-file cop in the United States. If we're going to take on China, if we're going to rebuild the country, if we're going to reverse climate change, we need two political parties in this country that are both living in reality, and you ain't one of them. See, what's going to happen with the January 6th commission is the media is going to use this to smear Trump supporters and President Trump for the next few years and cover up the damage, the real damage that's happening to this, to the people of this country, which is tearing down our economy, ripping our borders wide open, and hurting this country. In the aftermath of the attack on Pearl Harbor, America had a bipartisan commission. In the aftermath of the September 11th attack, America had a bipartisan commission. In the aftermath of the attack on this Capitol on January 6th, America should have a bipartisan commission. Let me just say this. If it was an insurrection, it was the worst example of an insurrection in the history of mankind. It was a riot. It was a mob. And it was significant. And it was troublesome. But this is not bipartisanship. Despite pushback from Republicans, the House moves forward with a vote on the legislation on May 19th. On this vote, the yeas are 252, the nays are 175, the bill is passed. And they pass it. So even though uh, Kevin McCarthy whipped against the, uh, the creation of the Independent Commission, there were still you know, three dozen Republicans who joined the Democrats in voting to create the independent commission. So that's not insignificant. That's us who still thought that January 6th was so bad that it needed to be investigated and the political chips fall should fall where they may. And who cares that it might hurt Republicans? Let's, let's investigate it and get to the bottom of it. Even though the bill passes in the House... The commission won't be established unless and until the Senate votes for it as well. And there, things aren't looking good. The day of the House vote, a number of senior Republicans in the Senate 
signal that they would not support the commission, citing concerns that the probe would hurt the GOP going into the 2022 midterm elections. Remember, the Senate is now split 50-50 between Democrats and Republicans, and Democrats have the majority only because of the vice president. But that doesn't matter here, because the bill cannot pass without meeting the 60-vote threshold necessary to overcome the filibuster. In other words, Senate Democrats need at least 10 Republican votes in favor of the commission. It's soon obvious that it won't be easy. Though previously undecided about the commission, Senate GOP leader Mitch McConnell takes to the Senate floor to strongly oppose the bill. Now, Mr. President, one final matter. After careful consideration, I've made the decision to oppose the House Democrats' slanted and unbalanced proposal for another commission to study the events of January the 6th, separate branches of the federal government. It's not at all clear what new facts or additional investigation yet another commission could actually lay on top of existing efforts by law enforcement and Congress. This is the same Mitch McConnell who had said on this Senate floor only months before. The last time the Senate convened, we had just reclaimed the Capitol from violent criminals who tried to stop Congress from doing our duty. The mob was fed lies. They were provoked by the president and other powerful people. On May 28th, the Senate holds its vote. On this vote, the yeas are 54, the nays are 35. Three-fifths of the senators duly chosen and sworn not having voted in the affirmative. The motion is not agreed to. Then the bill, because it passed the House, went over to the Senate. And that's where it ultimately died. Because Mitch McConnell, who had you know, condemned Donald Trump so forcefully after January 6th, is the ultimate political calculator. And he agreed with McCarthy's analysis that this was not a winner for Republicans and this independent commission should die. And so that's where it died because they needed 10 Republicans to vote for it uh, to get past the filibuster rule and they could not get the 10 votes. The idea for a bipartisan national commission in the model of the 9-11 commission is officially dead. Kinzinger describes it as a huge error. I think that was really, in hindsight, as people that'll study, you know, people that'll study kind of the ins and outs of the tactics of this stuff, will look and say it was the rejection of the bipartisan commission that will be one of both McConnell's and McCarthy's kind of biggest mistakes, I guess. But Republicans actually do it with their eyes wide open. Here's Luke Broadwater again. Now, I did speak with some Republicans at the time who voted for it. I believe there were seven who supported it, but they couldn't get the the last three they needed. And some of them said, look, we can see what's coming if we kill this. I remember, I think it was Bill Cassidy said, "I, I know exactly what's going to happen. If we don't vote for this, Pelosi's going to appoint her own committee, and then we won't have any control over it. And that's just about what happens. Pelosi responds, just as Senator Cassidy predicted, by creating her own committee. Tomorrow will be four weeks since the commission failed in the Senate. Uh, I asked, leading up to today, is there a chance for it to pass? We gave it so much time. 
not soon, not likely, maybe someday. In the meantime, um, I'm hopeful that that could still happen at some point. However, this morning, with great solemnity and sadness, uh, I'm announcing that the House will be establishing a select committee on the January 6th insurrection. And just as Cassidy expected, she doesn't design it to prioritize equality between the parties. Instead, the resolution creating the committee provides for democratic control. Pelosi would appoint eight members. Republican leadership, in consultation with the Speaker, would appoint five members. The chair of the committee could issue subpoenas for witnesses and documents without the support of the minority. It was a very different model. Of course, this version of a congressional body to investigate January 6th wouldn't get the same degree of support from Republican members as a national commission initially did. I start hearing even some of the more hawkish on January 6th kind of members that are close to me start finding reasons that they can't vote for this committee. You know, it's unfair, it's not bipartisan exactly. As any committee, you know, usually in the House is like 10-8 or whatever, 10-7, which is what this one was going to be. You know, the majority has the most seats. On June 30th, the House resolution to establish the January 6th committee comes up for a vote. And it passes, 222 to 190. Every Democrat, plus two Republicans, Liz Cheney of Wyoming and Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, vote in favor. 16 Republicans abstain. On this vote, the yeas are 222 and the nays are 190. The resolution is adopted. Two days later, on July 1st, Pelosi announces the members she has appointed to fill the eight spots allotted to Democratic appointments. They include Representative Benny Thompson, who had led the negotiations over the commission with Representative Katko, Representative Jamie Raskin, who had served as an impeachment manager during Donald Trump's second impeachment and whom we interviewed in Episode 3 of this series, and five other Democrats. But the member who gets the most attention from the start is Liz Cheney, a Republican from Wyoming. A surprise pick to join Democrats on the panel, Republican Liz Cheney, who voted to impeach former President Trump and was removed from party leadership earlier this year. I was shocked that she would accept something from Speaker Pelosi. It would seem to me, since I didn't hear from her, maybe she's closer to her than us. I don't know. Now, it's House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy's turn. Two weeks pass. Chairman Benny Thompson announces that the committee's first hearing will take place on July 27th, effectively giving Republicans a deadline. Finally, on July 19th, McCarthy announces the five members he is recommending for the committee. Three of them, Jim Jordan, Jim Banks, and Troy Nels, had voted to overturn the election results in Arizona and Pennsylvania. These comments, from Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in an interview with CNN's Don Lemon, summarize a common reaction among Democrats at the time. Well, you know, I, I leave that decision to her, but I think she's well within her right when the minority leader decides to nominate people who actively attempted to overturn the results of this election and who were, frankly, not only active participants 
in the dangers and what we saw in the insurrection of January 6th, but were some of the leaders and some of the you know, drum majors of the insurrection. I believe that she's well within her right to veto some of these picks. I think that um, they're frankly insulting. So it is not much of a surprise when Pelosi calls a press conference the next day. So as the legislation allows, I did not accept two of the five people were appointed. Uh, They have made statements and taken actions uh, that I think would impact the integrity of the committee. McCarthy, however, does not back down. This represents something that has not happened in the House before for a select committee by the historian, that Pelosi would play politics with this. Unless Speaker Pelosi reverses course and seats all five Republicans, we will not participate. But Pelosi doesn't reverse course. So after Liz is appointed to a Democratic seat, Kevin puts forward his you know, five members or whatever to serve on the committee. And of course, as, as we all know, Nancy said that two of those couldn't serve because they were actually fomenting the insurrection. I agree with her decision on that. And uh, Kevin, at that point, had a choice. He could have put two more members on, two different members, and he chose not to. He took his members off of the committee, took his ball and went home, fully believing that this would kill the legitimacy of the January 6th committee and that it would kill the actual formation of the committee. And it did no such thing. Former 9-11 Commissioner Jamie Gorelick agrees that McCarthy's decision was a pivotal one. A number of Republicans I know fault Kevin McCarthy for not offering up Republicans who could perhaps have gotten a different perspective into the room without being election deniers. He proposed such subverters of what would have been a normal committee process that they were not credible. I think most people would say if you're if you are investigating an effort to undermine the election, you can't have as a member someone who is declared as saying that the election was stolen. He could have come up with other members and he and then they would have had someone in the room perhaps who would take a different view of the facts. Not having done that, he ceded the territory to Republicans who were appalled by what happened on January 6th and the run-up to it, and, and Democrats who were, like their Republican colleagues, committed to a sober factual explication. And I think that has been persuasive to people. So I think they, the committee did the best job it could in the circumstance, and it would have sacrificed a great deal just to have bipartisanship if that meant having election deniers in the committee room. The first hearing is seven days away. The committee has eight of the 13 members envisioned by the resolution, but it's clear that Republican leadership isn't going to fill those slots. Rumors begin to circulate that Pelosi is considering making another appointment. I didn't want to do it. I still didn't want to do it. But I also knew that I have a choice at this point. Like, this is kind of those historic moments. Kinzinger says that when his name surfaced as a potential additional appointee to the committee, he was conflicted. The second I knew I took it, you, you're, you are a national figure. Uh, it's a national figure on, you know, I love foreign policy type stuff. 
that to me is something that you know I wouldn't mind being nationally known for. Um, but the January 6th stuff, right? Like nobody goes into Congress to attack their own party. Um, nobody goes into Congress to be kind of have a year that's swallowed up by investigations. And, uh, and that's what I knew would happen. I knew that, you know, again, I, I had a kid coming. My wife at the time was pregnant. We have a child now, but I knew that, you know, it's, we have cops now sitting outside of our house. That wouldn't be the case had I not taken this. And so I knew that life was going to be a little different, but I knew that there was really no point at which I was going to say no to taking it. Cause I just knew that I would not be able to live with myself. I mean, it's like such a big moment. And if I said no, that would be just real chicken and uh, couldn't do it. On July 25th, five days after rejecting McCarthy's recommendations and two days before the committee's first hearing, Pelosi makes it official. She is appointing Adam Kinzinger to be the final member of the committee. I found out uh, Sunday after at about 10 a.m. after Nancy Pelosi had gone on a Sunday show and announced that she was appointing me to that before she had even called and asked me. I guess she tried me at like 5.50 in the morning, but, you know, and then so from there, it just, it, it's uh, my last year has been a very different year than the first 11 in Congress. So that's how that went down. In Washington this week, a House committee will begin investigating the deadly January assault on the Capitol. The Congressional Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol has another Republican member. The Congressional Committee investigating the attack is expected to unveil new details tonight on live television. That's right, the Capitol siege is the largest criminal investigation in American history. So Kinzinger and Cheney are now the two Republicans in what has become a nine-member committee. Pelosi has succeeded in making it bipartisan, but the two Republicans will suffer enormous costs within their own party. They would later be censured by the Republican National Committee, and neither would return to Congress after this term. Cheney would lose her bid for re-election, and Kinzinger would announce that he wasn't running. In the meantime, the committee is pushing forward. But I'm convinced that the right kind of work product that we produced will get a buy-in from the public. We attempted uh, early on to get a commission uh, not made up of members of Congress, but uh, made up of people from the general public. Uh, But Republican leadership uh, shot that down. There's no telling where we'd be now if the early efforts to establish the National Commission had succeeded. Would the investigation have been over and a report written by the end of 2021? And recommendations implemented by now? Would there have been public hearings like what we've seen, crafting a unified bipartisan narrative of what happened? Or would hearings have looked more like what we're used to seeing, filled with partisan talking points? Or something in between? We can't know. In any case, by the end of July 2021, The hopes for a national commission are dashed, and a very different-looking investigation, in the form of a select committee, is in place. The committee's first hearing will feature wrenching testimony from law enforcement officers who defended the Capitol on January 6th. The hearing would have a big impact, but then the committee would go quiet for almost a year. Or so it seemed. That's next time on The Aftermath. 
The Aftermath is a production of Lawfare and Goat Rodeo. I'm your host, Natalie Orpet. Scripting by me, Catherine Pompilio, and Benjamin Wittes. Series executive producers are me, Benjamin Wittes, and Ian Enright. Associate producer is Catherine Pompilio. Additional voicing by Rohini Kurup. Production assistance from Kara Schillen. Goat Rodeo senior producer is Megan Nadolsky. Editing, artwork, and scoring by Ian Enright of Goat Rodeo. To learn more about Lawfare, visit lawfareblog.com, where you can find the Lawfare team's January 6th project, Confronting the Insurrection. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.